Hello and welcome to the Negroni Talks podcast, brought to you from East London and supported by Campari. Set up to be lively, provocative debates on issues around architecture, the Negroni Talks are hosted at the Venetian restaurant Ombro in Hackney and organised by Architects Fourth Space with the assistance of Rob Fain and Bobby Jewell. The talks are designed to emulate the opinionated and convivial free-flowing debates found in the fin de siècle European Café Society, being fuelled by food, drink and particularly Negroni. There's no stage, no standing on ceremony and the audience are asked to participate as much as invited speakers and the chair for the event. These recordings are presented as they happen live and like the talks themselves with no frills and little or no editing to bring you the arguments of the evening direct and unfiltered. Due to the coronavirus lockdown and the temporary closure of Ombra, this talk was hosted as an online event via Zoom so that we could continue the Negroni talk series as planned. And welcome everybody again. Uh, tonight's talk was, I guess, inspired by uh, some of the recent, the re-emergence of the Pordor scandal, if you want to call it that, that has um, that kind of returned into the headlines. But when we talked about it internally as a team, you know, we thought that actually it, there's a broader topic here as well that could maybe be addressed. And, you know, we often actually, you know, we often have topics, but then we spin off into broader conversations about housing, architecture, you know, how you, how you make cities for people. So, you know, why not just keep it broad to begin with? Um, and we've, we've got four fantastic um, speakers. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go to each of them in turn um, and ask them to introduce themselves. And then once they've introduced themselves, I'll, I'll get them, I'll sort of pose them a question, uh, which they can, they can answer for as long as they, as they like. Um, and, you know, and then we'll just see where the conversation takes us. You know, it's meant to be a bit of a ramble. Um, we, you know, we, as uh, I think Hugh mentioned, we've got the chat box also in the, with the reactions button. I think you can raise a digital hand, um, you know, and we'll, if people are willing to speak, they can, or we can read out the questions for them if they, if they don't want to unmute themselves. So without further ado, I'm going to kick off with um, uh, Heather Thomas. Um, Heather, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Thanks, Rob. Um, hello, everyone. Um, I'm Heather Thomas. I am um, Chief Executive of Sapphire Independent Housing in Northwest London, which is a smaller uh, housing provider, um, providing housing both temporary and permanent to people sort of in Northwest London and in Hartsmere. Um, and my other hat on is as Chair of Croydon Churches Housing Association in Croydon, where I'm a, a local resident. Again, uh, Croydon Church is a smaller local housing association, been going for 51 years, um, really committed to its kind of community uh, roots, only operates in Croydon and two other neighbouring boroughs, Bromley and Sutton. Uh, both Sapphire and uh, Croydon Church's Housing Association are developing associations and uh, in my capacity as CEO and with my other hat as chair, um, I am, or we are coming up, up against or lots of issues around how we can ensure that our mission uh, to achieve kind of communities and integration 
and also helping people with social mobility can all be married together um, with the new housing provision that we have. Um, and that raises all sorts of challenges for us um, in developing uh, rented housing, social rented housing, shared ownership uh, and outright sales. So the concept of segregation in housing is something that's very close to my heart. Uh, and I do have views and I will say they are personal to me. They're not uh, necessarily the views of the organizations I, I am involved in. Um, most of my housing, I'm coming at this as a, a housing practitioner. I'm not an academic in the way that Dave is. Um, I'm coming at it this of 20, 30 years of working in social housing. Well, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's an important thing to say. This is an opinion based event and that we don't allow really allow people to prepare at all. We don't send them any questions. We don't let them uh, set up presentations. So this is this is off the cuff and, and as personal as you can get. But I mean, you know, I mean, Heather, do you do you think that segregation is is baked into uh, into the system? That, that goes into producing housing? Uh, I think the answer from my perspective is absolutely yes, Rob, it is. Um, and it's baked in uh, in a number of ways, I would argue. I think it's baked in in terms of the current structure of the housing system that we've got um, in this country, um, which frankly means that it's very, very difficult to build the numbers of social housing that we need to have. Uh, and in order to do so, um, what housing providers have to do, and I'm speaking from a housing association perspective rather than developer, is actually have cross-subsidised um, housing. So we have to develop, in order to, to build affordable housing or social rented housing, we have to also develop shared ownership or outright sale, get the proceeds of that, um, to build social and affordable housing. Now, if we're doing that, we clearly want to be able to sell those homes in order to fund our affordable housing. That means that you have to develop um, housing that is going to be attractive for people to buy. Uh, and that brings with it challenges um, in terms of ensuring that you take a 10 year blind approach. So I think it is baiting in that way. And I, if we're honest as well, it's baked in in the way that I think as a, as a country we have um, growing levels of inequality. Um, and that shows itself in where people live and the types of housing that people live. Um, so it is structural. Um, and and that, that's, you know, that, that's, my, that's my view. Thanks very much. Um, I think I'm gonna... Uh, turn to um, Dinah now uh, if she's un if she if she can unmute herself and just uh, and just say a little bit about herself hi so yeah I I didn't think that um, Umbra could get any closer than our office which it used which is underneath our office it turns out it could get as close as um, my own computer so the next step will be like implanting a chip into my brain I think <laughs> Um, it's great. I've got myself a Negroni. It turns out they sell them around the local shop. I mean, say local shop. Um, and you can just pour it over ice. So that's my um, plug. Do I get a free one next time because I've plugged a Negroni? Um, we'll, have a, we'll have a word with Campari. Okay. 
so so we're architects and we we um live in hackney work in tower hamlets and the thing that we're really interested in is is how children use space and for us it's because they're a really good group of people to um focus on because we've all been children and yet none of us are anymore those of us who make decisions and so that they use the city in really different ways and and i was drawn to this idea of segregation when somebody got in touch with us and said that her children can't play out on the estate where she lives and perhaps i won't go on too much longer with that story but um to us it seemed to be the um that that then turned into the segregated playground story but uh, to us it seemed to be the kind of epitome of all that's wrong with the city um because all she wanted to do was allow her kids to play out in in the estate where she lived and that was the the the, the aim that we have when we build developments which is to make spaces that work for everybody um and you know our work is around thinking about how as architects we we talk to people and gather that the right information and how we design spaces um, that kind of facilitate and enable play being an activity that um, is something that everybody does when they're a child, something kind of truly universal, which housing, I think, also should be. So you think you it's you you kind of in your introduction to yourself, you kind of touched upon, I guess, some of the subjects I was going to uh, 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 you know, question you on, but I guess in your in your experience, in that case, how how does how does segregation potentially affect both sides of the wall or the fence? You know, do you think you know? I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll just yeah. leave it there. I, I think it's really weird, and 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 I think that I've learned the most from the the estate where it happened because. The, the woman who, who Louise Whitley, who sort of exposed it all, if you like, to us, lived in the private um, side and her kids went to the local school. And, and what she just couldn't understand was that, that everyone's sending their kids to the local school, but when they got home, they couldn't play together. And it just seemed so uh, unusual, so odd in, in London where, you know, it's quite... It, okay we've got private schools but we have a system which is uh, most most people send their children to the local school and expect them to you know play together in the playground play together in the park we all use the same hospitals and then suddenly when you get home you're kind of going well you're on that side of the wall and and you're on that side of the wall and it, it was just so shocking as a sort of part of the city that you know of course it hit it hit the headlines um and I think, first of all, people thought, oh, no, this isn't a really interesting story. But it, 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 it was, wasn't it? Because it was like, suddenly in housing, we're doing something that schools and, and health, see, we're, we're quite comfortable lying in a hospital bed next to somebody else who might be on benefits. And we don't expect to have a sort of, you know, Egyptian cotton sheets and, you know, uh, table service to our bed and that, that person next door not having it but why why somehow in housing can we actually say you can have that bit of land and and you can't to play on because it's, it's just the ground isn't it and I think that was what was so shocking about for, for the kind of segregated play element never mind the kind of poor doors which was just like we're just talking about the ground that we that we play on and that all goes back to sort of public um public and private space doesn't it and privatization of space 
So yeah, so maybe another sort of an, an additional add-on physical manifestation of inequality, just sort of, just in case people hadn't got the message. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You can't um, put that bit of grass. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll come on to a, a kill now, if he can um, unmute himself and, uh, uh, and tell us a bit about maybe about himself and resolve. Yeah, thank, th thanks for that, Robert. Um, hey, sorry, I came a little bit late as well. Apologies for that. Um, so I'm Akil. Uh, I'm the co-director of an interdisciplinary design collective called Resolve Collective. Uh, um, so Resolve looks at using art, architecture and engineering to address social issues in the built environment. We do a lot of work with architects, a lot of work in cultural institutions, um, and a lot of work as well with communities. So community-focused design is like the the aim of what we do. Uh, I'm also a researcher at the London School of Economics uh, and a trustee at Participatory Cities in Barking. Um, yeah, it's me. It's a good, good, good CV. Um, uh, I guess, I guess I was gonna, I was gonna ask you because I, I feel like you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you've, you know, you, you part of your work is you're talking to people, you know, maybe a bit more on the ground than, than some of us, and I just. I'm just wondering if does anyone talk about this issue, or is this just a sort of you know, is this a sort of uh, a, a, a just a thing that comes up you know maybe in in headlines and and between a certain you know very cliquey community, or do you, or is it something that that is uh, you know you you hear coming from other people? Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, I'd be interested to see also what the panel think about this and what people in the audience also think from their own social circles. I think the, the portal thing in particular, especially when it came out when Stella Creasy, the MP of Walthamstow, uh, kind of highlighted the whole of Tompkins building. Um, and a lot of that kind of erupted on Twitter a few months ago or however long it was ago. Um, I think, um, you know, obviously highlighted a really important issue and something that's been in architectural discourse for some time. Uh, and then there were some really interesting arguments that arose out of that about whether it's ideological or not, kind of separating this idea of practicality and, and ideology. Uh, I think in, on, on a day-to-day, -day, the conversations really range. I mean, I think when we think about how we mix tenures, when we think about how we bring people together, um, I think there's a way in which, as professionals, we, we, we risk talking about it in too theoretical a way. Uh, and often we're not talking about it. We make these identifications between practical and ideological, but not when that applies to people's everyday experiences. And the everyday experiences of people that I know personally and also in the professional capacity in Resolve are, are very, very mixed. There are people who don't, there are people who live in social housing and don't want to live in mixed tenure apartments because of the nature of their private, the people who live in private apartments. I know, I know people who have the police calling them all the time for their kids hanging out in hallways. I know people who live in constant you know, fear of what's being said on the WhatsApp group chats, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you can go on, you know, add infinitism into the kind of the, the, the microcosmic aspects of it. But I think it is a really nuanced conversation. Um, I think it's a really difficult one to be having, but I think the solutions are there uh, and how we address that I think has to be necessarily uh, holistically between professions, between architects, between policy developers, between developers, etc. Uh, it's not something that comes from within a kind of uh, professional silo. Yeah, I mean, 
yes i i personally agree with a lot of that and i think there's there's about 15 other roots of conversation that you've just introduced <laughs> that we could hopefully circle back to but i'm just still getting through introductions so um uh, least but definitely not last um uh, dave do you want to tell us about maybe a bit about yourself and on london Yes. Okay. So my name is Dave Hill. I'm a journalist and I have been for about 40 years. Gulp. Um, back in 2008, I, when I was working, working for The Guardian, I became a sort of London specialist because I was asked to write about the uh, mayoral election contest that year between Ken Livingstone and Boris Johnson. And that sort of became my role at The Guardian as a contracted freelancer. And I had a lot of freedom which is very enjoyable. And I spent the first couple of years in this capacity basically saying, hey, Boris Johnson, two years ago, you said this, now you're saying that. What a prat you are, caught you out. Um, and then, and also saying, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, this is a bad policy. And then you start to try and understand things a bit better. And you start to think, well, if I were mayor of London, what would I be doing that he isn't doing? And then you start, then you start to realize that um, whatever you think of Boris Johnson, actually some of these things are quite tricky and housing is a, an extremely tricky and difficult issue. It's very difficult, apart from anything else, to even understand how it all works. And I'm, you know, I, I am among people here, almost all of whom probably know more than what I do. But my job, as I see it, is to try and explain to people, to the the ordinary reader of my website and before that the guardian why some of these things that appear so distasteful and may indeed be very distasteful are the way they are and i sort of i i kind of became rather marginalized at the guardian because i think they became very i think they became very populist in a lot of their coverage of housing issues and i'm not going to specify particular stories but there are there were a number of stories that have appeared in recent years they are just wrong and these have taken off in a huge way and some of them were completely wrong and i just uh which is annoying but they're also very simplistic and 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 i once you know it, it became guardian in terms of its coverage of housing issues in london i think became was sort of a kind of business class squawk box you know just it was just product for middle the middle class outrage market so i became a slightly marginal figure for the guardian and then they decided they were going to save some money and dump a few freelancers so they dumped me so i started my own site which is called onlondon.co.uk the next day and it was a very small thing to start off with but now it's sort of a bit bigger and it's got um a lot of a lot of different contributors and i'm probably going to try and recruit some of my fellow panelists to to write something for me after this is over but i think there is this need to explain to the ordinary person who looks at the housing situation in london and what are we going to do about it the appalling conditions that some people live in the uh, ongoing and intensifying shortage of the kinds of homes that people need and this is an affordability crisis that extends beyond the poorest people to, to people on sort of households on low middle incomes as well. It's that big and that difficult. And I think we've got to try and get a little bit beyond being appalled. So I don't like what I call the social cleansing chorus, this kind of narrative of disapproval and outrage about 
whatever people think is really happening. Um, I think we've got to understand that the real story often in these situations is much bigger. So if you look at estate regenerations, for example, they can be a good idea or a bad idea. We tend to read about the people who are unhappy. If you look a bit deeper, there are always a bunch of other people for whom the opportunity uh, and estate, having, having the home they live in knocked down is the best chance they're ever gonna have of getting a new home that isn't full of ants and, and, and full of damp, that's got enough room for them and their children. They're part of the story as well. So I think journalism has a responsibility to look at the bigger picture and be a little bit, a little bit broader about this. And the, the poor doors thing, I think is part of that narrative. So you can certainly look at this idea of people having to go into through different doorways, basically on the basis of how much money they've got. And it goes right against, it goes right against the grain. Of course it does. But uh, I think the reason, the reason I'm here is that one of my favorite newspapers, sadly, The Observer, ran a poor doors piece. And this is the, this is the Walton Forest um, one that Akil meant, uh, referred to. And I thought, the, I thought the piece was really just not good enough. You've got, to, you've got to explain a bit more. You've got to be more than appalled if you're going to try and address this problem. You've got to try and figure out why it is. So I wrote a piece on my website which is slightly irritated, a bit irritable, but basically it was an explainer. How do these things come about? How can this ever be thought to be the best available option? And I think the truth of it is that, uh, without going on too much, as I probably already have, your Waltham Forest Council, you've got a bit of land. Fantastic, we don't have to pay for land to build something. What are the things that we as a borough need for our residents? Well, we need uh, a better service uh, centre so that people can get help from us we can get maybe we can get that out of this site and we need some more affordable housing how can we get the, the maximum amount of affordable housing without taking too much risk and they've come up with a cross subsidy model which involves actually one entrance to the block but then separate lifts to different floors where you've got the different tenures and uh that, that is the story. And you can say to Waltham Forest, uh, you shouldn't do that because that's segregation and it's wrong. And this is a perfectly reasonable argument to make. But if you're gonna do that, I feel you've also got to say, um, would I want to be the leader of that local authority who could uh, find proper homes for homeless people in my borough, uh, uh, homeless families in my borough, or people who are living in really appalling uh, uh, private rented properties. Uh, and I'm going to say to those people, I could build a house for you, but I'm not going to because my sensibilities are so offended by the idea of you having to go to your home in a different lift from the posh, posher people upstairs. I think you've got to take, so these things, these situations create dilemmas and predicaments and hard choices and I don't mind which side of the argument you are on in any particular example of this, but you've got to recognise that there is a dilemma there. And it's a reflection of how fucking screwed up everything is. Uh, it's a symptom. Well, that's I mean, my speech. I've now completed it. You have. You've, 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 used, <laughs> you've used your introduction um, to, to cover the topic as well, but I'm not going to let you go just yet. Yeah. Because 
I think it's just an, an one important thing and it's not a quick answer. So, you know, you have to just try and be pithy, but, um, you know, there's a lot of scarecrowing going on from Wizard of Oz because the architects are saying, well, it's not our fault. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's the local authority, local authority saying, well, look, it's not our fault. We haven't got any money. It's uh, the government. And it's the government saying, look, it's not our fault. You know, it's everyone else. And, you know, and to have, you know, I think, you know, it was a bit, maybe it wound up a lot of people to see an MP blaming architects for the poor door situation. Yes. I, think, I think that's why the recent furor has actually exploded so much because you actually had someone who potentially, maybe not in the, not in the, uh, you know, the ruling party, you know, kind of punching down. But I mean, what, you know, but Dave, the question is, you know, if we can't assign blame, what the hell are we gonna do? So is anyone to blame? Um, well, I think what I would say, and this may be a bit of a sitting on the fence sort of thing, but um, whether, the, whether, these, whether these solutions, if we're going to call them that, are acceptable, uh, uh, let me suggest, will actually often depend on the specifics of the development in question. So the soft target, the classic big... Uh, uh, glitzy soft target is nine elms. So, you know, every couple of years, somebody will go down, a journalist will go down there and say, look at this, it's terrible. Look at this, uh, look at this swimming pool in the sky. Isn't it disgusting that some people are so rich and look at these, uh, these sort of low rent properties around the corner. Um, but I've, you know, I mean, there's one mixed tenure cross subsidy type development that I know reasonably well, because one of my children lives in it. And, uh, uh, visiting, visiting him there. This is a this is a shared ownership thing, but you've got social rent, um, shared ownership, and full market stuff in the same block, right? It's in Bow, and um, uh, and I helped him find this place, and he lives there with his partner, and a lovely little daughter, and uh, it was it, it, it was probably only about the fourth time I visited him there that I suddenly thought, actually, I'm getting into this. This I've just gone through a poor door. This is what people call a poor door. I mean, we're talking of a shared ownership, not the social rent. You know, so it's just a door at the side of the block. You walk through it. You, it's a plain, functional, perfectly acceptable corridor, about 10 yards down to the lift shaft, and then you go. So is that, and, you know, the, 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 the richer people in the posher flats, they just don't exist. Might as well not exist, really, as far as that particular household is concerned. You know, it's not. It's just not a problem. They've got beautiful view of the Olympic Park. They've got. Uh, they look over their balcony at a canal. You know, it's sort of. It's rather nice. It's a good solution for them. So, uh, you know, I don't pretend I've been to visit dozens of these of these places, but I can sort of see that some of them are really crap, and other ones are probably okay for the people living in them. Um, are getting you know a decent home that they might not otherwise have okay well well you know heather would it, you know you're you're creating um housing you know do you what are your priorities you know that what you know what are you you know what what you know what makes you and the rest of your team like get get to it mm, that's it i mean <sighs> What's important to us is to try and increase uh, the amount of homes. And Dave talked about, particularly in London, the size of you know, the waiting list that local authorities have and general need. 
uh, you know, the general need for housing. So that's important to us. It, numbers, numbers is important. Um, the second thing is obviously we want to have schemes that are affordable. Um, land costs are very expensive in London. Um, and I guess now that we are, we've exited from the European Union, we're expecting that build costs are going to increase. So the cost of developing is very expensive. So that's another factor. Um, I'm not necessarily putting these in order, but I'm just saying these are all the factors we've got to think about. So it's number of homes, it's, um, it's the cost of developing, but also um, certainly for the organisations I'm involved in, the quality of the schemes and the quality of the schemes, particularly if they're mixed tenure, is important. Uh, and I mentioned sort of tenure blind. So if we were developing, I don't know, uh, a reasonable size scheme, a mixed tenure scheme in Croydon, uh, we shared ownership on it um, and social rented, we would try as much as possible to make that tenure blind. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's pepper potted. So I'm not potentially talking about a scheme where you, one door you've got somebody shared ownership, next door you've got somebody social rented. Normally they might either be in separate blocks or they might, the shared ownership might be on one floor, the uh, social rented might be on another floor. Yeah. So there will be some sort of separation. But within that, if you were looking at the flat, want people to be able to say, ah, oh, that's a shared ownership, block or that's a social rented block we do want them to try and look the same um, and so we do try to design them so that they are good you know it's good looking um, quality accommodation for people so that you know there are a number of factors that we try to take into account um, Robert when we're you know when we are developing and where a few people sort of asking in the chat I mean where do you, where do you think the the pressure for poor doors is coming because some people some people will say Oh God, it's the it's the richos don't want to don't want to mix, and then other people are saying, well, actually, it's the it's the people managing the building, you know, trying to control, you know, the costs of things, you know. So, you know, it's, I feel it gets quite polarized. I mean, what do you what do it you does. think? It does. My sense of this, and I could be wrong, is that uh, some of the schemes where this has happened, um, and it might well be Nylem's case, um, particularly. I'm not sure about the, the details of Walton Forest case, but certainly the, the case in Lambeth as well with the playground, they tended to be schemes, what we'll call section 106, where the affordable housing was provided on the section 106. So it was a scheme developed uh, by a private developer uh, and there's an obligation under the section 106 um, planning act for there to be some sort of provision of social housing. Um, and often, Okay, sometimes, let me not generalise, sometimes the thought that needs to go into the provision of social housing isn't always there. Um, and uh, I think that's what has led to some of the cases of, of poor doors, um, where there have been Section 106 schemes, um, perhaps the housing association that's going to purchase those um, flat hasn't been there at the beginning so the developers just developed them out without much input in terms of design and thinking about sustainability um, and it's, it's created a situation where you have poor doors or the design of the playgrounds has not been thought through at all. Yeah I mean I, I, I saw you nodding your head there Diana did you have did you want to um, follow that up? 
Yeah, no, you're talking about Lambeth. And, and the, I think what happened in Lambeth was a technicality. And I think a lot of this is about technicalities, isn't it? So um, I looked at the planning drawings and, you know, uh, I'll say this off, off the record, don't sue me. It looked like they got it through on a, on a um, uh, what's the word, on a, on, a, on a condition of the boundaries where they suddenly submitted the drawings that showed that all the boundary treatments had no gates so you couldn't move around the development. And that, you know, Lambeth shouldn't have done that and the developer shouldn't have put those drawings in. And I guess I'm, I'm kind of thinking about what Akil said, which is much more, which is quite, you know, quite um, to the point in some ways. And what was interesting about that story about segregated play, and, and there is an overlap, I think, with Pordors, was that, that the journalist who did the, who kind of did the digging around, did, has done quite a lot of um, going to developments and pretending to be a, a prospective buyer. And I don't know if anyone's actually done that, but... Like I, I can't really be bothered in my spare time to go around private developments, but um, she did a bit of that. And, and what was quite interesting was that she got this really uh, basically racist and classist response from sales, which was some of the stuff she heard was really, really telling. And none of the stuff that any of us would ever talk about in, in, in you know, project and design team meetings, like, well, you won't want to live there because that's a social housing. Well, you, you won't want to, you won't want to, you won't want to live here when you've got kids either because you, you know the schools aren't any good and it it i just feel like a lot of us talk about the poor doors and the and the segregated spaces because we keep saying well this is what people want and we kind of allow this kind of conversation to perpetuate and and then we and then we say well the reason it's like this is because of the technicality of producing you know cross subsidized housing and, and I think if we actually talked about these things and kind of sort of dredged it all up and got it out into the ocean and uh, into the ocean to the surface and said, it, you know, is it what do we want at the end of the day? Like what, what kind of what kind of housing do we want? And yeah, there will be some like really racist and classist people around who just go, well, I don't want to live next door to so and so. But I think, you know, is that. Is that the London that we want? And, and, and what is the outcome that we want? Because we can work out the technicality. And I think quite often some housing associations say, we can sort this out, you know, we can sort out the section 106. It doesn't have to be that complicated. And they took the gate down. It was just like, at the end of the day, it was just too much hassle for the developer. They just took the gate down. It's like, what is the worst thing that's gonna happen? Some kids are gonna trample on some grass. But it just became this, you know, it became this thing about the, the the, the, the developer felt like they were going, they were trying to I think protect the assets of the people who bought the private um, private units because you know and then we get stuck into this cycle of you know getting on the housing ladder and protecting your your the the, the, the cost of your home and so that it keeps going up and but we just got to keep reminding ourselves that like if if you're scared to be on a WhatsApp group or you're feeling like there's a bad vibe on a WhatsApp group or your kids are being told off for hanging around in in corridors which I, I mean is like totally happening it really is happening and it's just like you just see it I mean uh, you know you see you see like racism and, and and classism happening like all the time in front of you and if it's something that's happening to you it must be just like you know we but we just don't call it out in housing we just keep saying no we've got to provide more affordable housing I just find this is quite an interesting I can't have this conversation, uh, you know, around the design team 
table but it, it's it's what is going on in people's lives and I, I I sort of feel like we need we just we just need to dig it up a bit more and say you know design of course design isn't the answer but it, it, we all have to do our jobs better don't we and 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 as society we all have to think a bit more again about how how to live together in the city I think I mean that's I mean it's you know you sort of bounce back to some of Akil's earlier points as I as I thought we as I thought we might. I mean, Akil, what do you what do you think about how, you know, how we, I don't know how how we get the how we have proper conversations because it feels like this conversation is happening at uh, maybe the wrong level. I don't know. What do you think? The wrong level being being what level? Well, like uh, maybe you know our our architects middle management. So we're not we're, you know there's not uh, it's not the boss level. And also, it's maybe not the level where you know um, the people are feeling the most effects. You know, I just wonder how you know. You know, is it about um, is there is there a mechanism for listening? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think. I mean, it. I. I, I think it's definitely the, the the questions that we need to be asking. I don't know. I'm. I, I'm. I'm in a lot of agreement with what's been said across the board on the panel, unsurprisingly, and I'm sure I, I feel like a lot of people are. But the um, I don't necessarily, I'm not, I don't necessarily think that architects should absolve themselves of blame. I think if we're thinking about who's to blame, everyone's to blame in this. This is something that's societal, and that's fine. It's not you know no one's going to go to jail for it. Like it, that I think we're we're we should be open and kind of radically honest with how much blame is shared and distributed, and and sit with that. That's fine. I don't think that's a problem. Saying that architects are in some way to blame. Uh, when if we're if we're thinking about the whole the whole thing, obviously the decisions aren't necessarily initiated by architects. I don't suppose that many architects turn to their developers and say like, "We're definitely going to split these calls." Right before you say anything, Mr. Developer, we are going to make sure that these calls are separate. <laughs> um, I don't think that conversation happens that much, but um, I do think. You know, the, the, the question really is where is the forum for this big societal conversation that we're going to be having? The media plays a big part. The, some of the things that David said about The Guardian, I think that I also believe about The Guardian, to be completely honest. Um, and I think that also the, you know, but the media in, the, in the, our country's media is pretty shit um, and doesn't do a great job of being radically honest and doesn't do a great job of um, rather than kind of rousing things, actually being able to have these open conversations. And I'm also concerned about like how, when these forums happen, if we think about who the, talking to the big bosses, talking to big developers, talking to the home people who are in, in charge of delivering homes, we're also just forgetting about the just people's everyday experiences and we're not platforming them equitably in this argument um, or in these forums and discussions. Um, so perhaps it's not that it's this one unified forum, but maybe there needs to be more of, uh, like Dina was saying, like more people going into other people's shoes, more more people going to and pretending to be at home buyers, more people having to live in certain circumstances, more people doing these kind of things, and that's a big societal issue. Like I think there's there was a a, a school of thought in the 2000s where we kind of became really obsessed with putting people in the same space and that by virtue of being in the same space we get along um, and that's obviously not true uh, it's not by virtue of being in a rich space you don't become rich 
Um, and, and so environmental determinism, I think, is now thankfully dead and gone in most kind of academic circles. But how we, how we then approach it equitably, how do we approach it so that when people are in the same spaces, they have the appropriate tools in order to have their voices, their voices heard properly. Um, for me, in my personal work, that happens at really, really small scales. It happens when we create spaces that are radically different from other spaces in which we can, you can have a property developer talking to someone normal in a space that disempowers that property developer, where you're just two people talking rather than someone who has lots of influence and political sway and power and money, etc. Um, but that's those places that are small and they're temporary and I don't know if they do the job of changing policy. Um, so like I, you know, it's, it's, uh, perhaps a lot of it is independent. And so by going back to that point about who's to blame, if we all accept some, if we all accept blame, honestly, uh, we'll all take it within our powers to try and do it is what we can do. And I think regardless of what point we were, what side we were in in this argument that we, it's been like hashed up is encouraging people now to go and think, okay, what, what's, the, what's the thing that I could do to, to change this? What's the thing I could do to, to kind of make something vaguely different? I think, I think that's actually an incredibly powerful idea. And I hope, I don't know if, I hope, I don't know if that can be, you know, written about or brought up again after this talk, you know, and sort of, you know, sort of labeled, you know, put on t-shirts or on banners, because I think it's quite freeing, isn't it? To accept blame, because you you can then then you can address what I can do about it, and I think that part of the problem. And it was, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think it was pretty ugly the stuff that happened on Twitter recently, because it was a bunch of people pointing fingers, and no one came out of that looking good, did they? All, all they were doing was they were using their character limit to say, well, actually, I think you'll find that you're a bit more wrong than I am. And that, you know, it doesn't really lead to any resolution, does it? It's, it's kind of completely useless and circular. Um, you know, I'd, uh, I mean, I've been, um, I've, you know, not, I've seen a lot of sort of comments going on in the, in the chat, not, not so many direct questions, but I was wondering if Brian Quinn was willing to unmute himself because um, it's been one of the more vocal members of the chat. Um, if I can aid him. Hi, Brian. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, hi. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think I was, I suppose, one of the things I was sort of thinking about is that I do think developers have, in the way that they position the private sector flats in, in a development, tend to be emphasising as much the you know the sort of luxury and trim shall we say that goes with you know trying to sell a lifestyle shall we say particularly in this country and I think there's that then creates an overt difference to the kind of affordable tenure and I think that can be a real sort of challenge you know they the developers are very very good at working out how to put what you might call superficial trim like a couple of nice chairs or a bit of you know, a chandelier, a cheap chandelier in the kind of, you know, the lobby to create a sort of a, a sense of some kind of a lifestyle. Um, and then, you know, that then allows them to say that these are luxury flats, these are sort of posher than, you know, everyone else's and people buy into that, which then makes the affordable tenure look very plain and very sort of ordinary and a sense that, the you know, as Dave was saying, the corridor is perfectly fine. It's just that the 
the other private 10-year corridor has been sort of given a sort of the tinsel treatment um, and, and they look different, but actually they're both performing the same service and, you know, they're getting people to a lift to get up to their flat and potentially there may or may not be a concierge. But I think it's this issue that I noticed this when you when you go to, I've been on and helped organise a lot of study trips to places like uh, Stockholm and Vienna and Amsterdam and what have you. And the British people that are on those trips are always trying to spot the affordables. And, and one of the cues is you spot children. The second thing is sort of trying to spot differences in quality. And you just don't see the difference in quality in those sorts of places. And actually, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be the sense that the private is developed to look glossy and look luxurious. It's just all developed to a really good standard. And then separately, the tenure is a sort of separate discussion over ownership and management and what have you. But there isn't that sort of over difference that there seems to be here, you know, where every single property is portrayed to be, you know, sort of very fancy and sort of fit for a magazine kind of thing. And it doesn't seem to exist in other countries to quite the same extent, at least non-Anglo-Saxon countries. But, you know, I don't know what everyone else thinks. I think that's not helping you know, developers' marketing, really. Now, Dave, you've got, you got your hand up. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I thought what uh, Akil said about um, the need for uh, some of this stuff to be resolved through, through um, conversation and negotiation among the different interested parties. I think, I think I'm characterising what you said properly there is actually very important. And I think that the, the sort of situations that Dinah has been highlighting, uh, some of those things could be avoided if, um, if, 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 if there was a more collaborative approach to how some of this stuff is done. And what, what, I've, what I've got in mind is, um, is the Woodbury Down estate, which has become uh, which is a huge estate in the North Hackney, which has become the focus of uh, recurring social cleansing narratives and so on. Um, what, so I made a little film, I made a little film about that. And I spoke, I spoke to various people involved in it. And I'm not suggesting that it's all perfect, but you have a combination of a progressive local authority, which is kind of hands-on and involved with this. Um, a developer that, uh, Barclay, which appears to have been prepared to, to listen to people's concerns and dislikes about some of what was going on and um, a well-organized uh, uh, and, and authentic group of, of residents, uh, putting the residents' point of view. And, and by that, I mean, you know, not three people with a blog who call everybody, who, who insult everybody, but who are prepared to engage constructively and a housing association. But there was an, uh, an incident where, um, going back a few years it's a huge long-winded project uh, uh, Barclay wanted the the, the 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 posh flats to have private swimming pools and the residents said no okay I understand that you've got to I understand that you've got to make these posh houses as get as much money of them for them as you can because that's what's paying for everybody else's but that's going too far you know we don't we don't want that that goes against the idea of a reasonably integrated uh, community. So conversations were had and compromises were made. And uh, I think there was one swimming pool and there were no more. 
maybe that's quite a good case study of how some of these stigmas and really revolting outcomes that nobody wants to see, especially with children's play areas, can be avoided. So, um, and so Woodbury Down has got, you know, some community space. It's a, I've forgotten what it's called now, but, but it's a, a little complex of offices and workplaces that everybody uses or can use. You know, I think it's, I think actually that there's probably quite a lot that can be learned, but it does require everybody all the interested parties being brought together to discuss stuff so that you avoid some of the some of the some of the worst of these kinds of situations we're talking about that's it thank you yeah i mean philip's also got his hand up i don't know if you you should be able, you should be able to <laughs> philip unmute yourself, philip. yeah <laughs> how do you, hi philip how do you how, hi, how do you how do you feel about uh some of the things that have been said about having conversations and, and mutual solutions and what have you so apologies for jumping in and out because I was cooking dinner, um, but obviously it's been going on in the background and my uh, housemate Tom's been here as well. Um, I think there's, there's, I put my hand up to talk about King's Crescent, about the, the what Barry was talking about in terms of um, how you market a place and how you create an integrated community. But I think what Dave has talked about at Woodbury Down is, is really important as well. We have a council by-election will be down at the moment and uh, doing door knocking. And I actually went into some blocks. I'm sorry, I should have said I'm Mayor of Hackney, Philip Flanville. Um, I went into some social rent blocks I've never been in before, where many of the tenants that are part of Woodco, which is the tenants organisation on Woodbury Down, have had the tenants voice uh, there for many years. And I'd always known roughly where the key, kind of key figures live, but not quite ever knocked on their, their doors. But I was going, out there with a group of residents that came from Victoria Park of South East Hackney and they've never really been to Woodbury Down and I think probably some of them did have some preconceptions about four doors, what the social rent would look like, what the shared ownership would look like, what the private sale and I, I had to keep on explaining we were in a mixed core of social rent and shared ownership and people were really surprised about the, the quality and when people opened their doors just how amazing the flats were behind the space standards of balconies, the fact that people were dual aspects, that um, it felt, and actually the block has been up 10 years. So that sense of sometimes when you get a new build with sort of poor quality materials and you, you know, anyone that's been in some housing association properties can sometimes feel that that quality, that 10 year blind sense you get when built falls away. But actually picking up what David said, I think, um, all the partners there are really committed to the ongoing maintenance and management and really thought through that. So you can get mixed cores um, next to what are high value apartments with the pool underneath and still have a cohesion. Dave's absolutely right though, the second pool was a pool too far and we really, really pushed um, to make sure that there were no more private gyms and pools beyond that. And actually, you can invest in the public realm. You've now got a reservoir that has open water swimming. There are different ways to engineer value without having those private facilities. But I think that does require a cultural shift on how you sell a home. And then my original point was going to be around King's Crescent, which is a council, purely council-led scheme built with um, Higgins as the contractor. We had a very, very tight sales and marketing strategy there, which locked them into owner-occupiers. and um, the, the, and, and trying to stop foreign sales. We have no foreign sales on a development with private housing in 
and only five buy to let out of, I think, about 150, 160 private sale homes. And there was no gym, there was no concierge, and there were three mixed courtyards with multiple tenures around them, including residual social tenant leaseholders from the existing estate, new social tenants, new social rent, new private sale, all managed by the council. And if you go into any lift lobby, you wouldn't know the difference. Incredibly high quality materials, um, good quality deck access and, and mixed scores. And I think you don't, I, I think, you know, people buy multi-million pound houses on Hackney streets and they know they're living in a very mixed and diverse community. If you market it based on Hackney and high quality public services, I think you can achieve value, but you have to accept you're pitching to a different market. The sales rates might be slower. Help to buy did play a part in that story, but you don't have to max it out, sell it abroad, have the gym, have the concierge and sell the idea you'll never have to mix with the people that live around you. Uh, and I think it, you know that it's really important that I think it is possible to have a different vernacular and deliver something different that's much more integrated. I do, the last point though, housing management, even within the council, struggle to deal with all three tenures off one core, um, uh, just because of the nature of you know, sign expectations um, uh, and those sorts of things. So I think you can mix around a courtyard, you can mix around a place, you can avoid anything behind the door that adds value and that people peer into and can't access to. Um, but I think, you know, actually you, there is some pragmatism here um, uh, when we talk about mixed communities and mixed tenure and making sure that the, the quality is the same. Okay, so um, so I guess, what, yeah, I guess what you're saying is it's possible. It's not, it's not some insurmountable challenge that therefore we have to give up, which I think is, um, uh, I think that's a good message, a, little, a good hopeful message. Um, uh, I find it very difficult to, to try and listen and process what people are saying and, and monitor the chat. So I'm just gonna kind of go left field here. So I'm not, I'm not read the comments, I've just seen some names popping up. So I'm just gonna say if, if Barry, Barry, is it Barry Neiman, if you're, are you willing to unmute yourself and, uh, and, and chip in? Yeah, hello. Interesting debate. I've never done one of these before, so forgive me. Also, uh, as Steve and his team will tell you, today we made a large planning submission, which we worked very hard on, and I'm a bit tired because um, we've been working hard. So forgive me if I don't come across as lucidly as some of you. Um, yeah, I've been working in property development for well, a man and boy, really, and uh, we put together some very high quality schemes. Before that, I was working with developers who were doing um, package deals for housing associations and so on and so forth back in the good old days. So I've done my fair share of social housing in and around London and about. And um, in all my years, whenever we talk to an RSL and you talk about the idea of integrating um, what do you want, where do you want it, how does it go? Um, what works for you, it always came down to the same issue about housing management saying you can't give us our social rented in separate, you know, it's got to be in a separate thing from a management point of view. We've got to be able to have our own little 
four walls, so to speak, so we can manage it and we can run it and we can control the service charges because the private sector service charges are incredibly high, which is reasonable comment, um, etc. And therefore, they want their own little bit that they can hive off, have funded, etc. So also they're working to a different budget um, from the private sector. And as a result of that, they have to make it work from their pocket, so to speak, whereas private sector have got to tip a variety of other boxes that work for them and their funders and their shareholders. And so it's being approached from different sides of the fence by different people, depending on which sector you work in as such. Um, but in all those years, I've never once known a housing association's housing management say, yeah, you can have this. Um, there was an initiative from the government some years back to do with something called pepper potting. Some of you may know what that is. I can see Heather nodding her head, uh, which was let's try and integrate, etc. But it didn't work, did it? Because housing management couldn't actually hive off their bit and deal with it. Um, it was an issue. There was a perception amongst the private sector that they didn't want to be living next to somebody who was in a social rented unit where there might be screaming and shouting and fighting going on during the middle of the night or people dismantling lawnmower engines on their balconies and leaving them there for everyone else to see. So, you know, it, it, there were all these sorts of difficult issues about that. Um, and, you know, when you're a private sector developer and you want to actually build homes um, as such you've got to understand that the most key thing is to satisfy your funding obligations because that's what drives everything it's the money okay and in achieving those objectives you've got no choice but to actually ensure that you give your private selves every chance of succeeding and if people say, I'm not going to buy in your scheme because I don't want to be living next door to somebody who's actually going to be hauled off by the police or beaten up his wife or what have you, um, then you've got to think about what you can and can't do. So uh, it, 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 the problem is real and I, I, and I sympathise with it, but from you know the perspective of a private developer, um, your obligation is to make sure that you can sell homes. What do you, what, yeah, thanks, Barry. What do you, what do you think about that, um, Heather? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, in what Barry has said. I did mention Pepper Potting earlier and said it was talked about. I, I think you find it less. And um, so I think when you are developing mixed tenure schemes, what you do tend to find is what Phil or Dave described. Um, for example, my association, we, we, we've got a Section 106 scheme. Um, it's actually, the shared ownership is not actually in a separate block. It's on a separate floor, but it is in the same building in the same core but just on a different floor so there are different ways of doing this but i i i i'm going to be a bit controversial here i think um going back to diane's diana's point there's a there's a, a deeper problem here which we're not talking about and that is actually that there is a stigma around social housing oh yeah that there is a stigma around it um and um that stigma has increased over the last 20 to 30 years, um, largely because the people who go into social housing are increasingly uh, on lower income, individualized. 
meaning it is now the tenure of last resort. Um, many of us will know sort of post-war UK, social housing was not the tenure of last resort. Um, it was a tenure that a lot of people went into, but due to, um, I would argue, due to government policy, societal changes, it has become the tenure of last resort. And becoming the tenure of last resort has brought with it social stigma. People are embarrassed sometimes to say they live in social housing. And where I think the challenge comes is for those of us, all of us on this Zoom call, actually, because we are essentially, uh, and, and actually that, that picture of social housing tenants being feeling marginalized and stigmatized is part of the, the fabric that we've got woven into our society around inequality, in my view. Um, and I think people like me and those of us on this call who are, if you like, um, the, the bridge makers in a way, in the various things that we do, whether we're housing managers, developers, architects, surveyors, we have a potential role to play in trying to uh, create a narrative that changes the view of social housing um, and speak up, speaking up about its worth and its value. Um, so I think that's one of the big things here. And I think if we had a different narrative around social housing, some of the things that are happening when we're talking about mixed tenure wouldn't be taking place, but it's because we're not being honest about the fact that people look down on those that live in social housing because they are poor. And, and that's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got to address that um, in whatever roles that we've got. I mean, CIH, our uh, so professional body, Charter Institute of Housing has a campaign called See the Person or you know, build a better community. Uh, and that really doesn't have enough profile because it, it really needs to. So that's the thing for me that I feel really passionate about is what are we doing to challenge the stigma that exists around social housing? That's a good, good question for us all to be asking ourselves. Um, Keith Van Loan, uh, you, you've, got, you've had your hand up for a while. Um, uh, uh, hi. Yeah. Hi. Hi, thanks, Robert. Um, yeah, I, I just I was just uh, rolling my eyes really at Barry's comments there, really, um, and and I just really wanted to challenge back, really, kind of echoing Heather's point there. Barry, why is it always uh, social housing tenants who are dismantling their lawnmower in the middle of the night? Why are why are social tenants the ones who are rowing in the middle of the night? Why are social tenants the ones who are hauled off by the police? Because it's that kind of attitude that creates this whole problem. It's that mindset. And I just wanted to challenge you. And, and, and Dave actually said something similar in the fact that, you know, social ten tenants feel that they are the ones who are being subsidised during this. And it's this kind of argument is just adding to the mix and uh, not allowing communities to properly evolve. And um, I, just, I just really wanted to challenge that point, really. I don't, I don't know if you, <laughs> I know you're tired, Barry. I don't know if you want right to reply quickly. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. My comment wasn't meant to offend you, Keith, or anybody for that matter. And I was talking generically, not from actual personal experience, shall we say. Um, it's a perception. That is the issue. Do yeah, not say let, 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 let me go on. It's to exactly. It's a perception. It is a perception thing. And, and, and the problem is that by the time that we all come to shuffle the cards that we are given and do what we have to do, whatever our respective roles are, is way too late because the problem actually started in school. And that's where these things need to be addressed and fixed because there is this class segregation, that, you know, is in, indoctrinated into kids at a very early age about the do's and the don'ts. I don't actually agree with it, to be truthful with you. Um, you know, I, I work hard, I make money, and I, 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 you know, I brought my kids up okay. Um, they went to school and they, they mixed with friends who lived a mile away, uh, you know, on, on, on a housing estate. Um, and, you know, kids come to my house all the time. I don't mind my kids getting a bloody nose and mixing it up out there. I don't want them to sort of keep their side of the street clean and keep away from somebody else's other side of the street. I, I, I'm, I'm all for, you know, that integration side of things. However, there is this perception. Um, I'm not going over to that side of the street. It, it, you know, it, it looks nasty, it looks horrible, etc. Well, you know, there's grit and there's fibre and there's life and there's vibrancy on that side of the street. If you actually spent the time to find out what's going on over there, you might, might actually find you, you like some of the people there in the mentality. Not all of them. But on the other side of the street where you think you're safe, I don't like everybody there either. So, you know, it, 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 it is a very much a perception. And it's... It's not that you're born with these attitudes, you, you, you're taught them. And you're taught them at a very young age. And I think if you want to address these, these problems, you actually have to address them in school. Yeah, I know, I know, that, I know that Dinah's had a hand up um, for a while, but I think um, Yemi also just wanted to say something on this point. Um, so just to ask her quickly. Yes, hello. Again, just to back up, um, Heather's point and this whole conversation we're having is about the importance of actually how do we change um, the narrative so so just as a few headline things so of course the the stereotype that we're all talking about here is that social housing residents um, the the kind of stereotype is that the majority are lazy um, unemployed and uh, you know impoverished but kind of dispelling that myth we, we can start looking at some facts and figures and I think Philip sh shared a few but the Peabody Trust data of I believe it was 2018 showed that the unemployment rate among social housing tenants in London was 10.9 percent in the first quarter of 2018 and it's uh, with that is also important to consider the unemployment rate for some of those residents were due to barriers such as illness um, disability or having caring responsibilities and a um, resident survey also by Peabody showed that actually there were significant numbers of teachers, teaching assistants, childminders, hospital workers, bus drivers, construction workers and carers amongst social housing tenants. So whilst the majority of residents are on lower incomes compared to private renters or homeowners, not all are facing financial vulnerability. So I think we need to change our one dimensional kind of demographic that we have in people's minds when we talk about affordable housing. Yes, it covers those most in need and there's a growing number of people in need, but we're also talking about everyday Joe Ploggs who is, you know, 
um, benefiting from shared ownership to be able to um, attain home ownership. So I think our perception of um, so uh, who benefits from social rent need, needs to change. And I'll, I'll, I'll go on to Dinah, and I think um, I think that will kickstart a sort of um, you know maybe a final uh, one-liners from the uh, speakers as we as we draw a sort of close to the official proceedings. So Dinah, what would you like to add? I just wanted to share a couple of observations that I had uh, a couple of years ago with some young people walking around um, Camden, because what I'm really conscious of is that if we just stick to sort of um this is what it you know this is what it's like and people think this it doesn't help get forward and and, and absolutely agreeing with what a lot of people are saying about you know um the awful um you know stereotypes and um what's the word um yeah that that we're, that we're putting on on social housing tents but i just thought these were really in really um interesting observations one young woman in camden who'd who'd moved and been decanted and moved into a new flat and it was a particularly no she said herself it was a really nice new flat in i think it was a kind of mixed development as part of the houston regeneration it was really uncomfortable with it she was really uncomfortable with living in what she called a posh flat and and she talked a little bit to me about how you know she'd gone from where she lived and the people that she knew and suddenly she's living in a, in a really posh flat with lots of posh people and that made her uncomfortable and and i thought oh, well, something we're doing, this isn't working then. There's something wrong here in, in the whole system that, that she's feeling uncomfortable. And then another uh, another young woman standing on the Bourne Estate. Now, we were, as architects, we would call the Bourne Estate the kind of absolute sort of pinnacle of success in terms of, you know, really high standard social housing pepper-potted with, with, um, with, uh, uh, with, you know, uh, market sale, housing right i think i think that's arguably unarguably probably what we'd say yeah it's 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 got awards i think the architecture is fantastic it's 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 in an, in an i think in a nine uh, late 19th century estate it looks it looks brilliant she walked into that development and said no no no, i don't like it and i said what don't you like about it? she said those flats up there they're too posh they don't mix in with the uh, the, the the older stuff i said but but it's it's mixed it's social housing and mi mixed with um with uh um with market housing she said it doesn't matter it's just not right it doesn't matter and i just thought you know we we all think we sort of know what we're doing and yet every time we speak to people who are affected by these developments we learn something new and i just don't want i just i, I just think we have to keep listening to some of those really complicated messages that are coming from young people that are kind of telling back to us the system kind of isn't working even when you give me what you think is the right thing and i'm not saying we shouldn't be building the border state because i think i still think the border state is brilliant but we've just got to keep listening because sometimes we're just heavy boots do you know what i mean and heavy-handed and uh and, and it is a very very segregated system i live in a nice big house that's that's difficult my house is not going to be demolished next week because a developer tells me that the land value is high and they need to build two houses on this site and so, sorry, but we can be decanted around the corner somewhere else while it's going to be done. I'm lucky, and I think we've got to remember that, that, that you know, it isn't an easy situation. Okay, um, other final points. I mean, um, Akil, lots of people were nodding. Were you nodding your head along to everyone talking, or, you know, have you got a sort of last provocation? 
No, I mean, just nods. I think I, I, I wouldn't want to waste any blows of a hammer when the nails already been hit on the head. You know, what I mean, I think completely echoing what's been said, especially from Heather. I think that was so, so moving. And if I could say any more words, it would just be to play that on repeat. So nothing more from me. Okay, um, uh, Dave. Um, I think this. I think this. This listening point is very interesting because um, and important because Dinah. Dinah said uh, sometimes you think you're giving people what you think they want and actually it isn't and um you know it just it's another it's another dimension of the complications of all of this um uh, i'd like to say um i i think uh, when when heather said she was being controversial mentioning the stigma uh, against uh, social housing uh, tenants i don't think that I'm going to politely disagree that is controversial i think you're absolutely right <laughs> and i think it is one of the most revolting features of popular prejudice and it needs to be challenged finally more public investment more land more conversations and listening about what people want less crap journalism about housing i think would be a very good idea less uh, uh needless polarization and um um i think that's it i've said enough thank you very much for having me no worries. Thanks, Dave. I think less crap journalism has got had the most um, the most nods of the night. <laughs> that that takes it. But um, uh, and and Heather, do you? I mean, you've already sort of landed the killer blow. Is there anything else you want to say before before we go? No, I mean I agree with everything that uh, Dave Dave has said there. In conclusion, I wouldn't want to add any more. I would just uh, I get I do want to add something. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I want to say is though, I don't think I mean this issue is absolutely important. The quality of the buildings, reducing inequality. But I've got to say, for me, the big thing we can't lose sight of um, is the fact we need more social housing. That's what's really important here. Um, and I don't want us to get sidetracked on discussions around poor doors and how awful it is because yeah it's not great actually the fundamental issue is let's have more decent quality social housing for everybody to create a better society that's that's what i think we should really be getting angry about the number of people on the housing waiting lists that haven't got somewhere decent to live i think i mean there you go i mean if there's any you know, um, architects, developers, or built environment specialists, you know, in the audience, you know, we just need to maybe just need to find more solutions to the problem. And, um, you know, whether that means uh, getting political or, or coming up with some amazing design solution that no one's thought of yet, uh, that, you know, please um, don't be shy. So, I mean, you know, I'm just going to just say a huge thank you to all the speakers. I know it's, it is a lot to ask you to to come out here on a, on a public platform like this um, and, and I think it's been I think it's been enormously educational and I know I know it wasn't maybe it wasn't as controversial as some people would have liked to, to have been but maybe that shows that there's you know there's more common ground than the sort of crazy uh, online spats would have us believe and I think often when you read between the lines of those of those Twitter tirades you actually realize that everyone is arguing from a very similar standpoint that they don't want segregation but that you know the system is fucked as someone said earlier on so um uh, uh, i guess what we tend to do now is sort of you know uh, draw things to an official close but we'll leave the zoom open if people want to stick around and have a natter i'm going to have a beer i feel really thirsty now um, and i'll pass you back to hugh uh, for the outro
if he would uh, unmute himself, which is the classic. Okay. I'm so uh, not even professional at my own event. Um, yeah, thanks very much, Rob, um, for doing that. It was it's uh, a very interesting talk. Thanks to all the speakers. Um, just to echo Rob's sentiments, and without people being willing to contribute, these things wouldn't exist. So it's always very, very much appreciated. And um, yeah, um, we'll open it all up as always. People can come and go as they please, and. Um, yeah, stick around if you if you want to, and we'll we'll stop recording so we can say things more off the record if you if you feel like it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. For more on Negroni Talks, visit our website at www.fourthspace.co.uk, where you can see all our past and upcoming events, or find us and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Negroni Talks, mixing it in architecture. <laughs>